Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sure Look, Sure Listen, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Sure Look, Sure Listen. 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 Ah, welcome back, Benjamin. You seem a little bit tired. Maybe we'll get into that later in the podcast. Benjamin, sure look. We're going to be taking a look this week at Spider-Man No Way Home, the outcomes and repercussions of it, Ben, which means we're past the statute of limitations of spoilers, which we have self-imposed. So cover those earballs if you don't want spoilers for a thing that came out six weeks ago. Also, uh, we're going to talk about Moon Knight, Ben, your favourite and mine, Moon Knight. And... There's some stuff that we've missed out on completely. For example, Ben, apparently there's a Batgirl movie or show coming out soon. There's also Ghostbusters, which was last year as well, and we also missed that one. And, Benjamin, on top of all of that, DC TV, EU, DC EU TV, EEV, have released a show, their first tie-in show from the movie verse, Benjamin, Peacemaker. Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough of a mouthful, we'll also be taking a look at a well-worn screenplay trope, which is the Pope in the Pool, how we can package exposition so that our audience doesn't go off to Betty Bye-Bye land uh, as as time goes by. So, yeah, that's that's what we'll be taking a look at today, Michael. It's going to be a very exciting day. Who is he? What's he doing in there, Ben? Who, why is he the Pope? Benjamin! <laughs> yeah. He was elected by a council of cardinals, I believe, is what he the was, reason why yeah. he was the Pope. Yep. Benjamin! In a in a very ceremonial thing where they burn paper, Benjamin. Yes, it's very important. <laughs> it's very important process. There's smoke, there's white smoke, and there's black smoke, <laughs> and there's all sorts of different smoke. That's why he's Pope, Benjamin. Holy smokes! I mean, if you go down a bit deeper, it's probably some political maneuvering. He's probably you know made allies throughout his long career as first a bishop and then a cardinal, as and then and now. That was, a, that was a failed joke brought to you by Ben. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Very good. Sunday morning podcast banter. Um, yeah, but my, we've loads to talk about, including the, the final death of uh, the statute of limitations on Buddy Spooderman. Yeah, Ben. So we're into full spoiler man, no way home territory here. Yes. Benjamin. Yes. One of the biggest things that has happened as a result of everyone from the multiverse showing up in Spider-Man No Way Home is now all future films are this. Yes, we have no choice now, Michael. This is the path we've chosen. There is no way to go home or back, as the case may be. Yes, I can't wait for Jack Ryan 4, Jack Ryan Across the Universes, where John Krasinski summons Alec Baldwin and... Who was the other one? Was it um, Harrison Ford? It was Harrison Ford, wasn't it? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, it was, where he summons all of the different Jack Ryans. Benjamin, I can't wait for the next um, James Bond, James Bond Quantum of Multiverse, wherein upon, wherein upon Daniel Craig survives that explosion he was in and summons forth Pierce Brosnan to help him take down the next enemies. Yeah, it's very important. Very important. I can't. And Timothy Dalton and 70-year-old Timothy Dalton. I I would watch a 70-year-old Timothy Dalton being an older spy. I would watch that. Well, Benjamin, all you need to do is look at any of the things he's been in since James Bond. Yes, and there you are. There's your 70-year-old. Yes. Have you ever seen Benjamin the Doom Patrol, for example? Yes, I have, yes. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Or the Hot Fuzz. The Hot Fuzz, he's in that as well. Benjamin! Yes. What What I'm saying is, apparently... Apparently, Sony, Ben, have decided that but due to the success of Spider-Man No Way Home, they're going to make The Amazing Spider-Man 3. I can't think of a worse thing that could possibly happen as a result of the success of this film. Um, why, Michael? Why, why does anybody think that Tobey Maguire was the best part of that film? Well, it's Andrew Garfield. Oh, The Amazing Spider-Man. Sorry. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I thought we were going to make the other one. Okay. No, We've already made yeah, that still, in a three. Yeah, the, no, that, yeah, that had three already. Oh, there is talk of a fourth one of those. Today, Michael. No, you're not. You're really not, are you? I told you you looked a bit sleepy, Benjamin. Do you have a story to tell us about <laughs> why you're so sleepy? Why? Why would anybody want The Amazing Spider-Man 2? Or 3? Oh, very good, Ben. This, yeah. this is top-notch podcast this banter for you this morning. Top-notch. Benjamin. Because, I don't know if you noticed this, but people love nostalgia. Okay. 
And what people especially love these days, Ben, and here I am now as a almost 40-year-old man complaining about nostalgia in a room full of toys and action figures. Benjamin, what people really love now is nostalgia from just a little bit ago. Oh, recent nostalgia. Oh, that yeah. classic recent nostalgia. <laughs> recent nostalgia. Oh, my God. Do you remember seven years ago that thing that wasn't that successful? It's like, oh, my God, I do. I loved it. Do you remember that thing we saw last week? Oh, halcyon days. <laughs> oh, so good. So much better. I think anything pre-COVID, people are just like, bring it back. <laughs> bring <true>. back. <laughs> the, when we saw The Amazing Spider-Man 2, there was no COVID. It was an absolute pile of dog shit, but there was no COVID. So bring it back. Bring back the before times. Do it now. Bring back the before times. Benjamin, I'm concerned about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because, as you know, it has received multiple reshoots since the launch of Spider-Man No Way Home. Is that because it was was supposed to come out first, but it didn't? Yeah, probably. Um, But also because they're just going to put loads of multiverses in it. Yeah, look, um, we've we've tackled the multiverse topic before, and on on this year's roster, Michael, we, we will be doing a full episode on multiverses and why that narrative has become so popular. But I think we're almost pushing the boundary a bit too much, Michael. We, we've we've looked at this in depth before, where we the stakes kind of mean nothing to the previous films if you're just going to introduce a multiverse. They can do just about anything now, Ben. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's multiverse, there's time travel, there's clones, there's dimensional vortexes. You can undo anything. Now, no one's dead anymore. Everyone's back. I think we need to come up with a kind of a, you know, you suspend your your disbelief when it comes to any form of fiction. And we believe that, um, you know, it can happen because it's a work of fiction and we allow that kind of stretch in logic on occasion but we definitely need to come up with like a special term for the marvel universe in particular as to why all these things are not colliding with each other on a constant daily basis yes universe go pew 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 like how can anybody get up in the morning and go for a cup of coffee in the marvel universe without some kind of vigilante scuffle taking place down the street to the left some kind of abomination being thrown through a window to the right, an extra-dimensional being tiptoeing into our universe just above their head. Like, I don't understand. Their coffee becoming sentient. I'm saying, oh, yes, Barry, drink me, drink me, you dirty morning boy. Voiced by Paul Bethany, who's not playing Vision, but Vision's extra-dimensional cousin that exists as nanites and has to build himself up through caffeine acquisition. Yeah, I mean, Mm. like, there's all kinds of weird things that can happen now, so... I don't know what you would call that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's bullshit. Is what you call it? <laughs> no, but you see, but you see, I don't think it's going away, Michael. So we could every time just say ah, b- bullshit. But eventually, Michael, as a a pop culture podcast, we're going to have to come up with some way. That is that what this like... is? Is that what this is? Benjamin, I have no interest in seeing an Amazing Spider-Man three, nor no. do I have any interest in seeing a Sam Ra- Raimi Spider-Man four. Oh God, no. And I think what we're really getting at is releasing either of those films is the worst possible lesson that could be learned from the success of The Amazing Spider of, of No Way Home. It's the worst timeline. Why Why would that be it, the lesson? It's the worst possible lesson. It's classic Sony, isn't it? It's just like, to hell with the consequences. We're doing it for the quick book. Oh, people want more of the stuff that we put in. Yeah. No, 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 yeah. guys, guys. You could just imagine... <laughs> Kevin Feige sitting down with whoever's in charge of it. Over, he goes, no, 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 no. It worked. Head in his hand. <laughs> it worked because you partnered with us, and it was a joint vehicle. And Tom Holland carried the movie, and, and we got- we did it. We wrote it, not <laughs> you, bunch of idiots, yeah. not your semi-trained chimps. And the Sony guy is just like. Yeah, so I've spoken to Andrew Garfield and you just kept before he's just like, no, oh, no. I bet you you have. I bet you you have. <laughs> Why is the vulture in the Michael Morbius film? <laughs> they separated the universes. <laughs> Why is he there? Is that the same vulture? Is it Batman? Do you know we don't own Batman? Please stop, Sony. I'm going to take off my little red hat and throw it at you. That's my Kevin Feige impression. It's a pretty good one because that hat is a constant. He's always wearing it in every America single great multiverse, again. Michael. Yep. That's what, he, or or some not though, because in some he's played by Paul Feig. 
from Ghostbusters 2016. Ah, very, very smooth, Michael. That brings us on to our brand new segment, <laughs> um, which is... Uh, uh, what, was, what did we say we were going to call it? Oh, we slept on that. Uh, we did, Ben. And I think there's an extra irony based on how sleepy you are this morning. <laughs> I think we could probably argue that, yeah. Benjamin, some people say that one of the most important things in, in, any, um, in anything is, is habit forming. You know, building a routine. Yes. But every week now you text me and you say, can we do it at 10 o'clock in the morning? Can we do it at half past midnight? It's yeah. just, I think you might be driving yourself crazy. Yes, I think I've probably just I've come I've come unstuck in time, Michael. I am now ah, that's what it is. Rolling through the chronosphere, as it were. So this is actually last week's Ben. Yes. When are we going to meet future Ben? Is he going to have any spoilers for us? I don't know which one it is, but you might at some point. Who's to say? I mean, very good. It would be fair to say that nobody expected the Amazing Spider-Man three to be the greatest cinematic achievement of all time (laughs) after the Godfather. But look, that's the way it works sometimes. And now, I mean. I think it's especially unusual that Sony somehow got themselves out of their buyover deal and then bought over Marvel. That was a, a weird thing, and nobody expected it to be the uh, Sony Empire. But but here we are, Michael. And then when the Walkmans became sentient, and now we all live under the you know music regime, nobody expected oh, that either. Good. But look, worst things walk have people, Ben. Walk, walk people, <laughs> Benjamin. Yes. <laughs> what are we talking about? Ghostbusters. I've seen it. <laughs> This is the new, Benjamin, this is the new one that was released in 2021. Yeah, new is a bit of a stretch, but yes, uh, it's quite good actually. Funnily enough, Paul Rudd put Paul Rudd in anything, and I'll watch it. Paul Rudd is not really very important in it, or he's not even that in it that much. That Paul Rudd is very much the Rick Moranis character. Oh, yeah, oh. it's about the kids. It's about oh. the kids, Ben, and what's going on with Ghostbusters. But I'll tell you what, it's quite good. Oh, okay. Well, that's good news, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's quite good. Ben, as you know, no great Ghostbusters fans are we. Yes. I mean, we're not both Ghostbusters fanatics. Well, I mean, my movie replica proton pack and full jumpsuit would argue otherwise, but go on. Yes, but that's... Yeah, you've never worn that in public, Ben. Benjamin. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen them all, and I I like some of them and I don't like others of them. Uh, That's excellent commentary, Michael. Tell me more. (laughs) Thank you very much, Benjamin. This is easily the second best Ghostbusters film ever. Oh, well, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's fine. It's good. It's a little bit Ghostbusters, a little bit Goonies, a little bit Stranger Things, a little bit... Um, there's a bit of Paul Rudd in it. There's a bit of Carrie Coon in it. There's a surprisingly small amount of Olivia Wilde in it for some reason. Okay. It's good. It's good. It's very good. What it's very enjoyable. Sh- what did they shoehorn Olivia Wilde in there as? You, there's no statute of limitations on the spoilers here. You can just go full. No, no. We're, I think that came out before Spider-Man. Yeah. Benjamin, she's play, she plays Zool. No, not Zool. Um, the the baddie. Um, what's the baddie's name? Gozer. Gozer the Gozerian. Oh, okay. She plays Gozer the Gozerian's body, Ben. But okay. the voice is Shora... Ag- oh, I don't know her name. The lady from The Expanse with the voice. The Iranian lady. She does the voice and Olivia Wilde does the body. That's the most pointless cameo since... It's since about 15 minutes earlier in the movie where J.K. Simmons has a single line and then gets killed. What? Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) It's very strange. There's loads of very strange stuff. J.K. Simmons, under very heavy makeup, has a single line and then dies. That is very strange. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Olivia Wilde, unrecognisable under heavy makeup, has no lines. It's really strange. Why are these people in the movie? I don't know, Ben. I guess they wanted to be in the movie. Okay. And I was like, I'll be in Ghostbusters. So what's the plot? The lads from the Ghostbusters have been storing ghosts down a well or something for a long time? No, Benjamin. It's the same plot as the first one. Oh, okay. Ghosts are coming back. Ghosts are coming back, Ben. Here comes Gozer. Gozer the Gozerian. And um, there was a man in the olden days, and he was a bit of a bad egg. Okay. And... In the in the eighties, they found a skyscraper that he built that sum, to summon Gozer the Gozerian. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, remember? And he made the skyscraper like a big summoning tower. But he also built a town in the Midwest that for summoning Gozer the Gozerian. Oh, okay. So he had a backup plan. I don't know which one was the backup or which one was the original, but yes, he had exactly the same plan twice. Okay. Uh, well, and, you know, and if at first you don't succeed, try and try again. Exactly, Ben. Exactly. And Benjamin, I tell you what, the reason I particularly want to talk about it is because, and we couldn't talk about this pre-statute of limitations because it's a pretty big spoiler. 
But let's talk about Benjamin putting dead actors back in things. Oh no. Because the big part of the plot, Ben, is that the kids are the grandkids of Egon. Oh, okay. Mm. Played by noted dead fellow Harold Ramis. Oh no. And I tell you what, Benjamin, he comes back for the final act. As a blooming ghost. Oh, that's... And he doesn't speak. He just gives them a dig out as a ghost. Hmm. With the other Ghostbusters. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it weird? What do you think of that, Ben? Um, It's a legal nightmare, isn't it? Like, how do you... I don't think so, no, because as far as I know, his family in the state signed off on it. So legally, oh, no, I, I it's that, totally like, fine. Okay, well then, beyond that, it's it's an ethical nightmare. I don't... Yeah, I think it's more of an ethical nightmare than a legal nightmare. Yeah, I I don't know. I, all I can tell you, Michael, is that since you've explained that to me, I've had a real case of the... Uh, the icks, have you had it? Have you had a case yeah, of the icks? As, yeah, as the kids would say today on the TikTok, um, it's given me the ick. Ben, imagine, for example, after you died, if I, as the inheritor of your estate, um, agreed for you to be in the next Ghostbusters film with your proton pack and your... Uh, and your Ghostbusters suit on, but only the top half, the bottom half was nude. Um, I feel it's a bit weird like that. for you to, to speak about our, our private arrangement for after I die so publicly well. <laughs> when that was part of the NDA on signing that agreement. Yes, you can have my Benjamin. Estate. Yes, you can have full control of my body image and rights. But for the love yes. of God, Michael, we said we wouldn't talk about it on the podcast. And I just think it's but Benjamin, yes, it would be the easiest way to digitally render you because that is the single thing I have the most photographs of you in. <laughs> that's very worrying. Um, <laughs> that's very worrying. Um, we'll have to get into one of those big um, motion capture globe things that I see. Exactly. So Benjamin, yeah, it's a, uh, it's pretty respectful. Okay, well, as far as it goes, that's something. They, they have him come back as a ghost. They have him look like old Egon, not old Harold Ramis. What What does old Egon look like? Well, Egon, Harold Ramis didn't go around his entire life looking like Egon. No, he didn't, I suppose. No, and it looks like old... They've they've digitally aged Egon rather than Harold Ramis. Oh, that's that's a step if you, extra. If you will. Yeah, okay. He doesn't He doesn't speak. Yes, because that would be the trickiest part. Of... And I don't know if it would be. I think it would be very easy to get a decent impersonator. Mm, I suppose. Um, and then uh, when when he finishes up, it, he kind of fades away and he ascends to heaven or, Afterlife. you know, the sky or wherever it is that the yeah. ghosts go in Ghostbusters. And uh, it says, for Harold. Oh, okay. And grown men cried, Ben, not me. I just sat there going, oh, am I all right with that? I don't know if that's okay. Am I all right with that? Did you did you take pictures of any of the grown men crying? No. Oh. Okay. No. No, I didn't. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So, has the Ghostbusters community kind of embraced this film to their bosom, Michael? Yes, I believe they have, Benjamin. I think it is quite beloved as a film. Right. Right. I think it it is seen as writing the ship, as it were, in Ghostbusters. It's been a long time coming, hasn't it, as a film? Like. I think we did interviews at a, a Comic-Con a number of years ago. <laughs> and we had just gotten the first teaser trailer with the music and stuff. Um, had we? I, I, I well, think so. Yeah, yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah, it has been a long time coming. I think it was supposed to be released in 2020. Um, because there are some interesting points like um, they see a timeline of all the ghost attacks. Okay. And it's like, look, 1872. And, and it's written up on a big wall. Nice. 1872, 1916, the Tunguska event, uh, 1945, 1984 in New York, and and then they just kind of wave their hands where it says 2021 and no one says anything. <laughs> there were no attacks in 2021. Everyone was busy with coronavirus. And the ghosts. Benjamin. Yeah. It's good though. It's a good, it's a good film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it definitely, I think um, the 2016 film... Whether whatever you feel about it politically wasn't a great film. No, it was a weak film, full stop. It was a weak not a, film, Ben. And... Go on, sorry. It's, it's not a weak film for any particular reason, other than it's badly written and put together. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think I think it was not necessarily badly written, just barely written. <laughs> it was I barely written, and the ending was an absolute flippin' abomination with the uh, colorful ectoplasm everywhere and people ninjaing around the place. Yeah, absolutely I, dreadful. I think it was. Oh, I don't know how you'd explain that film. I think it was just a bunch of people who were told, you know, oh, you're funny. You can, you can just just you know, go be funny. Do what you just like. Just go be funny. Just go be funny. Just go be funny. Like, well, like the original Ghostbusters. It it can work or it can't. Ben. Anyway, look, Ben. In a sense, I think it poisoned the well. Not yeah. entirely of its own fault, but just sure. the debate around it, the reaction to it, poisoned the well of Ghostbusters and probably damaged this film's chances in a lot of ways. I still think this did okay. Right. And this might set up a new series. But, yeah, very interesting um, divergence of cinematic universes we're seeing a lot these days. Yes, Michael, it's kind of everywhere, isn't it? Uh, Mm, Maybe we can talk about that in the future episodes. Maybe we should. Maybe we should. Uh, Michael, we got a a little bit of... Speaking of branching out universes that nobody really asked for but could be okay. um, Yes. Apparently there's been a Batgirl movie underway for quite a while here, Michael. Is this a movie or a TV show, Ben? I don't know, Michael. But judging from the judging from the fact that number one, J.K. Simmons is reprising reprising his Commissioner Gordon role. Oh, is he? Yes, J.K. Simmons is back. Hopefully, not for a one line one of dialogue line. and then to be eliminated. But you know, hopefully, but he's coming back as Commissioner Gordon. Right. Michael Keaton is coming back as Batman. <laughs> I've heard of Batman, yeah. He's a popular yeah. character. People will enjoy that. So Michael Keaton is reprising his role. Um, but and we, yeah. Michael Keaton wasn't Batman in the same universe as, as Commissioner... Oh, never mind. Now, my the the viewers can't see, but I'm doing a big old shrug. You're doing a big shrug, everybody. Cause a big I old don't shrug. know anymore. I don't know anymore, Michael. Um, as he's doing a big shrug... Because he's only wearing a top of his Ghostbusters costume, his, the whole thing is lifting up and exposing his entire nether region. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> you know full well that I go topless in my Ghostbusters costume or bust. <laughs> don't, you know, don't you dare invert my my, my half costume, my demi costume. Um, so it, we got a we got our first kind of glimpse at it from from uh, Leslie Grace, who is going to play Barbara Gordon Backrow. Okay. Um, Leslie Grace, who is uh, a musical star. Um, oh. And was in... Is this in, a, in all the singing, all dancing? Yeah. She was in, in The Heights uh, in 2020. Um, and has is quite a well-established actress in in kind of musicals and uh, things like that. She has 1.2 million followers on Instagram, Michael. Um, is that a lot? Which is nothing to sniff at. Is it not? How many do we have? Are we close to that? Um, we've got 1.1, unfortunately. Um, followers. So, 1.1 <laughs> followers. Followers. Uh, yeah, very good. Okay. Yeah. So, um, she published her, her first look at the costume. It's going to follow the Batgirl Year One costume, which is the kind of the, the, the more realistic kind of combat suit style costume that was pioneered. I've maybe seen it, Ben. 2019, 2018. Um, could have been 2012, Ben. It could have been 2012. We just don't know. Um, don't know. There's no way to tell anymore. There's no way to tell anymore. Time doesn't matter, Michael. We're in the multiverse now. And uh, that's that's the way it is. So this is about to come out. Um, it's centered around the year one storyline. So it's Batgirl's kind of early days. Um, I would assume, based on the fact that we're getting Michael Keaton um, and J.K. Simmons, it's going to be a much uh, younger Batgirl in contrast to... Uh, the Batman, possibly the Batman legacy is in decline. We might get a bit of a Batman Beyond dark where Batgirl takes over the mantle as a younger hero. I don't know mm. how it's going to go, Michael. But it looks interesting. The costume looks phenomenal. Is it a TV show or a film, Ben? I don't know. I'm going to have to look it up now because you've asked twice. And Benjamin, is Joss Whedon involved in this? Uh, Wasn't Joss Whedon doing this? God, I hope not. Benjamin, um, I thought Joss Whedon was doing this. Don't, don't, don't you put a Whedon on this. I think he was, wasn't he doing this? Stop. I don't know. I Stop. I can't keep track. I cannot keep track of DC products and um, uh, movies and TV shows because they, you just never know if they're real or not until they happen. It's a background movie. Mike. It's a movie. Okay. It's a movie. Okay. So and this is not connected in. Uh, it's not connected in any way with the Batgirl series. No, uh, that's Batwoman, and not connected. Was it a? That. 
Are you sure there wasn't a Batgirl series planned? Uh, that, I mean, you're not, obviously. Possible. I, I you're wish not, I knew. obviously, you're not sure about that. Benjamin, and has Joss Whedon anything to do with it? Um, I think, Michael, that Joss Whedon could be a lot to do with everything these days, and they just don't put his name on stuff anymore. No, <laughs> oh, he's got his fingers in many pies. Yes, he's now Wasp Jeden, and it's down the bottom of the credits every time. Oh, very clever and amusing. Benjamin, yeah. speaking of new things that are coming out. Go on. We have thoroughly been excited and enjoyed seeing the new Moon Knight trailer. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which... Oh, Michael, we failed when we chose our day to do this podcast. We didn't realise that everything gets released on a Monday. Everything always gets released on Monday, man. The same day as this podcast. And we record this on Sunday. Sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the afternoon, sometimes in the evening. But Benjamin, it's always Sunday. Yes. And a big Hollywood, Ben, they have it in for us. They just want to keep the indie, pl- the plucky indie podcast down, Michael. That's what they want. All we want to do is see the trailer for Moon Knight and... I suppose, Ben, as probably the original biggest Moon Knight fans on the internet. Yes. I think we can we can lay claim to that. Um, complain about it. Yeah, straight facts, Michael. They stole our idea. <laughs> they stole our concept. They did. Um, yeah. They waited a ridiculous amount of time, five plus years, to finally kind of hatchet job our original magnum opus, Michael. Magnum opus. There were lots of stuff about magnums in it, the, the ice cream bar. Yeah, we were really hoping for that sponsorship deal. Um, <laughs> That's what we were going for. Yeah. Then Moon Knight throws a rock solid frozen magnum at the Bushmaster and knocks him out. That was I at believe. the back of the, the freezer, and your ma says it's fine, but you're like, ma, it's been in the back of the freezer. It's all hard. She's like, it's just the same. There's no change. Like, no, it's got freezer burn now. It's not as good. It's been in the back of the freezer for two years, ma'am. She's like, it's a freezer. It's for freezing food. It's grand. It's ice cream. What's wrong with you? Look, look. Get a job and move out. <laughs> look, Ben, is it frozen? Yeah, ma. Then it's a fucking ice cream. Eat it. It's an ice cream. Eat it. Stop complaining. <laughs> so we give those to Moon Knight and he uses them as weapons. Um, yes. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, the trailer's going to drop tomorrow, Michael. Um, I can't really speculate because I haven't seen it yet. No, no, I haven't seen it either, Ben. Big Hollywood really has it in for us. Let's move on. Yeah. Michael, you've seen the new episodes of a show that we didn't really talk about much, but I have secretly been excited for and yet didn't watch for our pop culture podcast. (laughs) Very good. Very clever. Benjamin, there's a show called Peacemaker. Yeah. And it's based on one of the main characters from the 2021's second best superhero film. The DC's The Suicide Squad. What was the first one? Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, but I think looking back, I think it was my second favourite superhero film of the year. It was certainly a lot more enjoyable and innovative and interesting than Black Widow, Eternal, Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, Ben, yeah. um, it takes the character of Peacemaker, one Christopher Smith. Ah, oh, yes. Played... Played by John Cena, Ben. I assume coated in a special paint, a special coat of visibility paint. Yes, because otherwise, as you know, Michael, you can't see yeah, him. You can't see him. You can, but you can see him in this, and he's quite good. And Benjamin, if you remember when this was announced by James Gunn and his mates, everyone was thinking, "What's this going to be? Is this going to be a sequel? Is it going to be a prequel? Is it going to be like a bit of both and an origin story?" It's a prequel, Ben. It's a flat-out prequel. Ah, oh, damn it. What's, what's wrong with you? It's a flat-out prequel. I thought it was going to take... No, sequel. Directly. Did I say prequel? I you meant sequel. Oh, I meant sequel. Okay, better. I meant sequel. Okay. No, it's a flat-out sequel. <laughs> I was like, how? What? <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. It opens with him in hospital, recovering from his injuries in the Suicide Squad, Ben. You know, there's going to be spoilers for that. And then just goes from there. And without going into it too much, Ben, because the... We talked about this before that you haven't seen it yet. And I said, don't you worry your pretty little head, Ben. Thanks. Because to be brutally honest with you, I don't think plot details or story details are why you're going to be watching this. Okay. Long story short, Ben, Christopher Smith, the peacemaker, Mm -hmm. gets drawn back into the world of Black Ops with Mm -hmm. some of his team from the movie Suicide Squad. Ah, not the Suicide Squad themselves, Ben, the supporting characters. For example, John Economus. I really enjoyed the supporting characters of, of the Suicide Squad. They're back, Ben. Good. They're Good. back. They're all back. And some new ones. And Robert Patrick is in it. Who's Your favourite actor. And 
The Terminator T-1000, Robert Patrick. Oh, yeah, the guy who sprints real good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's back in it. He's his dad. Did you know, Michael? Did you know? Right. Yes, what is is it? This is apropos of nothing. Go on. Okay, but it's to do with Robert Patrick. Do you know that he trained so much in breathing control and sprinting that when it came to the shoot with the motorbike and Robert Patrick... He had to slow his run down because he had been in so much training that he was actually he kept catching, catching up the motorbike to the motorbike as he ran. Very good. I like to hear it. <laughs> yes. Very fast, so, man. So it actually turned out that James Cameron had to take him to the side and he'd be like, look, your dedication is beyond question here. But I need to slow your own. I need you to slow down. How, how good did he feel? Because he was up yeah. against Arnold Schwarzenegger loads. But I bet he looked at Arnold Schwarzenegger just once and went, did you hear that? Yeah, let's that? see you out running a motorbike, you big lump. Slow down. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Robert Patrick plays his dad. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, Ben. Oh my God, it's vulgar and gross. <laughs> oh my God, it's oh the swearing, the nudity, the the language, the content. It's it's gross and horrible. It's a real James Gunn thing. It's it. It must be pre MCU James Gunn then. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's not pre-MCU James Gunn. It's James Gunn without having to do a family-friendly filter. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. So Because it's and a HBO it, series, Michael, at the end of the day, isn't it? It's a HBO Max series, Ben, so yeah. I had to pop over to that America to watch it, which is, you know, a very big inconvenience. When are they going to give us a feckin' convenient way of doing it? I'm running out of airplane fare. I know, it's so expensive, Benjamin. Yeah. Benjamin, so he's drawn back into the world of, um, of black ops espionage. Ah, uh, yes. And... By, by you know, by virtue of there's a thing going on and they need some help to sort it out. Or do they? What's, what is it? What is going on? It's quite complex. Okay. But it's, it's, it's very James Gunn. It's very weird people doing weird stuff. Uh, some of the, to- not the tone. You've seen the film Super, haven't you? With Rain and... With Rain Wilson, I think is his yeah, name. Yeah, I can and, never uh, get his name. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. At the time, Ellen Page. Yes, Elliot Page, yes. Uh, yes, Elliot Page, that's the name. Retrospective Elliot Page. <laughs> yes. Um, and I tell you what, there's there are hints of that in it, mm-hmm. of superheroes being just awful people. Okay. And just the worst vigilante shitheads you can possibly okay. imagine. There's a character called Vigilante, and he's just a, the worst vigilante shithead ever. Okay. He's given off a real... He's given off a real Deadpool vibe. Um there's there's he's he's a real sack of shit peacemaker ben he's just he's he presents this outward shell of being super confident and capable but he's just he hates himself he hates his job he hates he hates everything oh it's great ben it's great john cena's a revelation in it he'll take any excuse to take his clothes off yeah absolutely why wouldn't he he looks like john cena he looks like john cena almost entirely invisible and the the special effects are good, Ben. Oh. What what I would say about it is I have enjoyed this more as its own thing than any Marvel Disney Plus series. Oh. And And Benjamin, you know, I am a I'm a bloody Hawkeye stan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I enjoyed this more than so far than Hawkeye. Now it's only three episodes in. You We've only been allowed three. No. We've only on. been allowed three We've only been allowed three episodes, but this really looks and feels connected to the movie that it's come off of. Okay, okay. It doesn't feel like... Remember in the olden days, Ben, they used to have a a semi-popular movie or even a popular movie, and then they'd make a TV show, and they'd, they'd, um, they'd take the name and maybe some of the supporting cast... But they'd recast all of the main stars and they would change the premise enough to make it cheaper to do. Yeah, because they couldn't pay for that cast. Exactly. Stargate's a great example. And Stargate SG-1 turned out to be a great show and a seminal influence on science fiction. But the the first couple of episodes of Stargate, you're looking at, who the fuck is this budget James Spader? And who's this... Who's this new character that they've introduced? What's happened to Jack O'Neill? Why is he MacGyver now? And what? <laughs> Where did MacGyver the- come from? Who are these extra characters? And why are there so many Stargates? It just seems like they're setting this whole thing up so that it can be a weekly show. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, and I have to say, 
some of the Disney shows had that feel to them a little bit of here's one or two of the big stars and a load of the, you know, Filler. not so good stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, and this doesn't feel like that at all. This feels like straight out of the film. Well, that's great, isn't it? It's nice it might, to get that it, home run. <laughs> it might be because, Ben, it's written, directed and produced by the director of the film. That'll, that'll do it in keeping it home probably <laughs> It'll probably do it for you, won't it? And it, Oh, it's great, Benjamin. It has. And the internet is abuzz with this, so you can check this out. They uploaded it onto YouTube on the first day. It has the greatest intro title sequence of our times. Oh, that's high praise. I'm not, I'm not going to get into it, Ben. I think lis- listeners should just go and search YouTube. If they haven't seen it yet, they should just go and search YouTube for Peacemaker Intro. Because I tell you what, Benjamin, it's a joy from start to finish. Right, hold this up to your smart device there. Right, just give me two seconds of silence here. Michael, you ready? All right, yep. Okay, Google. Peacemaker intro. Very good. You've done it for everyone, Ben. So you can just hold that up there now to your... To your Unless that this device. is playing from your smart device, then you're you're scuppered. In which case, I've activated it by mistake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if a smart device is going to be activated by sounds coming from themselves anymore. That yeah, used they... to work in the olden days, but it doesn't seem to work anymore. What a tragedy. How dare they fix that particular glitch? Yeah, now that next they'll fix the glitch of stopping people from naming their kids Alexa. Yeah, well, no, Apple just sues you if you do. It's not the same. It's not the same thing. <laughs> it's Amazon, but yes, good, good joke. Uh, good joke. Damn it! Oh, Benjamin, yeah. it's thoroughly great. It's thoroughly great. I That's think great. everyone should go and watch uh, watch Peacemaker. It's it's fantastic. I'm not going to do any spoilers, but I have enjoyed every minute of it so far. It is not for children, Benjamin. Okay, so if but, you if got we ones... Nor was the Suicide Squad, though. So, yeah, in fairness, you know. if you took your kid to the Suicide Squad, shame on you. <laughs> shame on you. That's a or problem. Venom. Or, or Venom, too. <laughs> Even then, it's not as bad as the Suicide Squad. The Suicide I don't Squad know, Ben. We, when we went to see Venom, we heard a lot of screaming kids. That's Yeah, no, that's too many kids. Too many kids, too, not enough Venoms. Benjamin, is that our running order? Uh, we've we've pretty much we've pretty much run out of running order. I don't know if we've held golden to our running order in this particular. I think that's day. everything. Um, yeah, that's everything on the running order. All right, all right. Um, so that's it this week, ladies and gentlemen. We were going to do other <laughs> stuff, but uh, to be honest, what's what's the point? Um, no, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> that brings us to this week's main event. Oh, oh is this is a wrestling one. Uh, no, I wish. Uh, that'd be nice if it was a, a wrestling one. Um, no, no, this week, Michael, we're going to be taking a look at a rather unusual um, screen-a-play piece of advice. I don't know if you'd even call this a trope, Michael. Right? Oh. But it's it's kind of a... If we said golden rule, that would probably be unfair. But it's a good rule of thumb, Michael, um, to ben. work with this particular one. Yeah. Ben, what would you call a Chekhov's gun? Chekhov's gun is a plot device. Is it a plot device? It's a plot is device. It? Yeah. Because, is it not? No, because... but Chekhov's gun. No, Chekhov's gun. Okay, Chekhov. But what's the... Is it Chekhov's rule? Um, It would... Uh, oh. I don't know if it would be Chekhov's... Uh, oh, that's a good question. Tell the listeners what it is, Ben. Chekhov's gun is the, the principle that if you show a gun on the table in the first act of your play, that gun has to go off by the third act. And you just said principle there, so is this a principle? Oh, for the love of God, we've gotten into semantics. The one thing I said I'd never do on this podcast, Michael, was academic semantics. No. Is this a, so is this a principle, Ben? I will not I will not be an institutionalized, sedated academic sitting in my smug colonial lounge debating semantics. All right. Okay, fair enough. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, it could be a principle, Michael. Uh, it could be a rule. Um, but generally speaking, what we're looking at today is, Michael, have you ever heard of the Pope in the pool? Only since you said it. All right. That's fair enough. Just now. Um, Just now. Fair enough, Michael. So the Pope in the pool um, is uh, a piece of Did advice. Is the pole in the pool? Uh, no, not a pole in the pool. Um no, it's not that. Hello, my name is Magic. I'm here to use your swimming pool. I, th- I think we may have just jumped the shark on this podcast. I think <laughs> we just <laughs> hit the limit. Okay. Um, right, no, good. the Pope in the Pool, Michael, is uh, 
a piece of screenwriting advice, I suppose, or um, a good rule of thumb for screenwriting. And it was uh, first written about in a book called Save the Cat. Oh. Have you ever heard of this book? No, it sounds like Save the Dog. Um, it, it's probably not dissimilar to that, Michael. But Save the Cat is kind of a, a screenwriting Bible, uh, if you will, in screenwriter circles. And what it is, is it's a book by a guy called Blake Schneider. And okay. It was released in the 80s sometime. But, uh, American singer-songwriter Blake Shelton. Yes, Blake Shelton, uh, who actually had a really, really excellent career as a screenwriter for years. He wrote Speed. Oh. And Speed 2. Is he? Um, he's married yeah. to Gwen Stefani. He's married to Gwen Stefani for some reason. Um, yeah, so that that's the thing that's happening. Um, but anyway, Blake Schneider, um, Michael, not to be confused with that that absolute twat, Zack Schneider. Um, <laughs> Blake Schneider <laughs> wrote Schneider the book do? Save the Cast. He made movies. Okay. Um, and in Save the Cat, he kind of laid out his experience as a screenwriter um, and his golden rules for screenwriting and good advice, good practice, things like that. And Save the Cat has lots of different rules. Uh, the uh, titular one there, Save the Cat, is if you introduce an animal, yes, don't kill it off. <laughs> yeah. Ben, I turned off, if you remember last year, this this time last year, I turned off Chaos Walking. Yep. Which, you know, okay, it was, on t- it was teetering on being shite anyway. But then it broke that rule and I went, no, thank you. You've broken the rules. I'm not watching the rest of this drivel. Yeah. So uh, Save the Cat is the, the principle of, of basically doing doing good by the good boys and girls that play animals in, in films. And Benjamin, is Save the Cat based on Alien? Uh, I think it very much could be. I haven't read the article. I need to, I need to go back and have a look. I don't screenwrite very often, Michael. As you know. Oh, very lazy. Um, very lazy. We should probably do a Moon Knight script, Michael, and then um, pitch it to Marvel because I don't think they're doing anything like that. I hear they're going to make TV shows in the future, though. Um, I see you're back from the past again. Yeah, it's back to the time travel conceit. That's very clever. See what I did? Uh, until you yeah, stepped on my conceit. But that's okay. Um, <laughs> so anyway, Pope in the Pool, Michael, is a very simple What's principle. he doing in there? Um, the Pope in the Pool is that exposition should not be boring. Yes. Okay. It, it's that. It's a very simple rule. I have a quote here from Blake Schneider in the essay that it comes from in Save the Cat. The Pope in the Pool gives us something to look at uh, that takes the sting out of telling us what we need to know and does so in a lively and entertaining way. So the Pope in the Pool, Michael, is designed to avoid two characters sitting in a room with one character going on a massive monologue um, of exposition. And the best example... What? Sorry? Uh, Sorry, Ben, I, I couldn't hear you there because I was too busy trying to understand what Michael Caine was saying in a Christopher Nolan film. Yeah, precisely. So uh, one great example would be Christopher Nolan in any of his films where he always has one scene where a character just monologues. Not a character, Michael Caine. <laughs> it's okay, it's, it's particularly Michael Caine. Michael Caine is the uh, antithesis of the Pope and the Pool trope. Um, okay. But... Um, a, a very good, uh, a very good example of that poor writing technique is uh, the Matrix, where we meet the architect. Do you remember the architect? Oh, concordantly. Yeah. So that's just that's information overload for your audience, and it, it burns them out fairly quickly, and it just it ruins things. So the the, the reason it's called the Pope and the Pool, Michael, is Benjamin. Yes. Have you seen a Christopher Nolan film? I have seen Inception. I have seen Dunkirk. I have seen all three Batmans. I yeah. I have not seen Interstellar, and I have not seen uh, timey wimey stuff. Tenet. Tenet. That's what Michael Caine does. He just sits in those films and just, talks. <laughs> yeah, he just shows up and explains what's going on. It's incredible. The most recent one, Tenet, is unbelievable. What, what is he, he just hasn't. He has a meeting with John Tanet or whatever his name is. And he's always like, so here's what's happening in this film. I'm Christopher Walken. Okay. And he, wow. he just, he's, he explains what's going on for 10 minutes. It's absolutely incredible. That sounds awful. Oh, it's dreadful. Yeah, it just doesn't sound like fun. I, I, I don't think I'd listen to Michael Caine explain anything to me, let alone a key plot point. Um, I, I just don't think I'd be into that. But hey, what what do you know? Um, so the reason, Michael, that it's called the Pope in the Pool is very, very simple. The example that he gives is um, Blake Schneider um, once had to explain like a very difficult Vatican law 
um, okay. in a film for whatever reason. And About electing the Pope, probably. It could have been something like that, absolutely. So one of the things that um, one of the things that would be very difficult is explaining deep cardinal law <laughs> to an audience yes. without making them go, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, yes. And the Pope has a very kind of standardized set of imagery that goes with him. There's a balcony, there's white smoke, there's big old robes. There's pomp. Yeah. There's ceremony. Yeah. So in order to engage your audience or make them kind of sit up and go, wait, what the fuck? Um, you uh, put your Pope in the pool. So that he had the Pope swimming in brightly colored swimming trunks as the Cardinals gathered around the pool and tried to explain why the Pope had to take heed of what was going on in the film. Um, and the, the Cardinals around the pool become increasingly frustrated because the Pope won't stop swimming in the pool and listen to their very, very important good. edict. So and then, so they're trying to tell him stuff, and he's not listening. And then we're learning about his character that he's not a great listener, and uh, exactly. very clever. So it's a, a juxtaposition of expectation, I guess, if you want to look at it that way. We take the thing that you might expect from the information we need to get, and you find a way to invert it. So there's another kind of golden example um, from a from a different director, and that is in Jurassic Park, Michael. Da, 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 da. Wrong movie. <laughs> Wrong movie. Uh, but anyway, you'll uh, Jeff Goldblum, who is a joy. I've, I've seen him. Yeah, I've uh, seen him to watch in anything and could explain anything that he wanted. Um, would be great, but you can't use him for the entire film, Michael, because Jeff Goldblum gets paid by the minute. Um, mm. So, you know, it's very expensive to use them. So Steven Spielberg had to explain the concept of DNA sequencing and that kind of thing. Um, and normally, Michael, we could have had bloody, uh, what's his name? Attenborough, which At Richard Attenborough. Richard Attenborough, sit yeah. Sit there and, and give it the welly, you know. Or yeah, we could have a bizarre retro cartoon like Mr. DNA. Oh, that's what I, that's what I'd prefer. Yeah, who explains the concept to us in kind of a brief, entertaining way that sticks with the audience. Um, so this kind of thing, Michael, is very important. It's, it's a bizarre visual moment that kind of jars yes. with the rest of the film and yet is brief enough not to cause a complete kind of detachment from the narrative. I get it. And stimulating enough that the information actually goes in. That particular one, uh, Mr. DNA, has been copied to infinity and beyond, Michael, um, since that day. So we saw an example of, uh, we would have seen another example of that with Miss Minute in Loki more recently. Miss Minute was the same thing. Miss Minute was the same concept. So it's, it's a Pope in the Pool moment where the, the visual expectation is, or sorry, the, the visual narrative is kind of subverted a little bit, given a new coat of paint, as it were. And made to stick in the audience's mind. And Miss Minute turned out to be nothing more as well, interestingly. Because yeah. if you remember, there were a lot of conspiracy theories about Miss Minute. But she wasn't really. She was just a bit of an expositionary tool. The The thing both of those things have in common, Ben, is they are situations in real life where exposition is delivered. But not called exposition, just called information. Yes, it's just info. <laughs> um, it's just information. That's, that's and I think people are people are more understanding of it in situations where um, your character is in a situation where it's likely they will come across something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And then we're like, oh yeah, I've watched a, I've watched an infographic video or I've, I've watched a, a bloody training video. I, I get this. Yeah. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes to make that work, you can contrive a way to get your character somewhere. How many films have we seen where a character ends up in a museum? Yeah, and the museum has a hologram, or a, uh, Captain America goes and learns what happened to his colleagues. Yeah, his colleagues a, through a his quick compatriots. little montage in the museum. In the museum, and he's standing in the museum. He's going, Steve Rogers and his howling commandos were the yeah. And you you could or, present that information by Nick Fury going, "Look, Cap, they're all dead." <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> but it wouldn't carry but, the same. Wait. But that's an interesting one because Steve Rogers didn't have to go to that museum. So that was a very clever choice of, you know, like Loki in that new place. Of course, he, ne he Loki needs to be told what's going on. Yeah. Loki needs to be told 
as much as we need to be told. Yes, so it, it serves a dual purpose in that particular case. But with Captain America, he needs to be told, but not for the plot to go forward. He needs to be told so he can have an emotional reaction. Yeah. Um, because we actually already know. Yep. Yeah, so that's one of the more important uses of the Pope in the pool, especially, mm. I suppose, when, when Blake Schneider was, was kind of outlining these conceits. Um, a concept as complex as the MCU from a screenwriting perspective wasn't heard of. Yeah. Like inter interweaving shows or narratives would have been a television concept occasionally. Mm. But the idea of a giant cinematic universe where your audience has pre-existing knowledge before they go in outside of what characters understand mm. is, is a completely different concept. So the Pope in the pool in the MCU is essential because it's a way of repackaging information so the characters can catch up without putting your audience to sleep. Mm. Because your audience has already they, given it. They have some very good ways of doing it too. Luis from Ant-Man is yep. a classic. Yep, he does it all the time. And it's enjoyable and it's funny and it's entertaining. And it's done with a super cut montage in a style yeah. that doesn't fit the rest of the show. Luis's editing style is completely different to the editing style Edgar of Wright. Ant-Man the film. It's Edgar Wright, Ben. So it's Edgar Wright, yeah, it, without Edgar Wright, so to speak. Edgar Wright without Edgar Wright is probably a throwback. That's uh, that's very interesting, isn't it? Because I would say, probably, funnily enough, in those in in the Ant Man films, the expositionary scenes are the most memorable and beloved parts, to the point that they sometimes have him do exposition for things that wouldn't be entirely necessary to expose. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Like, we have to get an expo. They, they must be the only screenwriters in Hollywood saying we have to get an exposition scene in or else the fans are going to riot. Yeah, and I, I think it. Um, it's really interesting, isn't it? It happens all the time. Like the, So, I, I think if your Pope in the Pool is too successful, and again, this is nothing that Blake Schneider could have predicted way back when in the late 80s because we, we hadn't come into that. But now you have fan expectation of humorous moments. So you've mm. kind of, and if it goes well, that becomes a calling card of the film. One of the uh, one of the very few criticisms of Endgame and Infinity War was that there wasn't a Luis re- recap between the two films, which is bizarre, <laughs> but <laughs> very strange, very strange. Benjamin, yeah, have you seen the film The Big Short? Yes, Michael. So that's my next example. Oh, good. Go okay, on. you do that. No, one no, you because I was going to go. No, you, no, you go on. I'm not going to. I'm Michael, not going to steal done, your. I've done far too much talking. You get yourself on in there. No, you, you actually, you might think you have been, but you haven't, because I keep interrupting you. Tell us about the Big Short. Oh, okay. Well, uh, the Big Short um, yeah. is one of my good lady friend's favorite films, and when she found out I was doing this particular topic, she was like, "Oh, oh, oh, the Big Short," and it hadn't even occurred to me, Michael, mm. at the time. Um, until um, until she brought it to my attention. But there are four core examples of Pope in the Pool in the Big Short. With f- I'll tell you what, Ben, I only remember one of them. Okay, four varying degrees of success. Okay. okay. So the one I would imagine you remember is Miss Margot Robbie. She was in the nude, Ben. <laughs> she was in the nude, Michael. So... Whilst that's a, a good example of it, it's a, it's a jarring uh, visual cue to make you pay attention. It doesn't have a visual correlation in the same way. So there's there's nothing to help guide the audience's understanding of what's happening other than Margot Robbie's monologue. She's in the nude, though, Ben. She's, I don't know yes, if remember she's that presenting bit. the nude in an unusual fashion. <laughs> okay, uh, not as unusually as that sentence you've just produced. Uh, but go she's, on. she's presenting the information in a in a really unusual way. <laughs> Do you know what you said? Yeah, I know. I tripped over my tongue. I just I can't <laughs> keep going. This, you tripped over the word nude. This ben. Is game over. I give up. Um, <laughs> this is my last podcast ever. You're gonna have to get in touch with Doctor Stephen J. Cadwell after this. I just oh find no. A new co-host. Oh, replacement co-host time. Or get an AI one. I'm sure there's enough information of my verbal patterns and thinking patterns that you could now build your own AI me. Oh, yeah, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll sign that over as part of the estate deal later on today. Um, Very good. Hello, Michael. I'm glad to be hosting this week's episode of the podcast in the nude. Yes. So there you go. That's what you'll get. Um, But when she presents that information, Michael, it's still a monologue. And it doesn't actually enhance audience understanding 
It's very meta. Um, it's very jarring, so you pay more attention, but it doesn't work that well. There are other examples in the big short. It might not work that well, Ben, but it's very memorable. It's very memorable, so it is It is kind of a Pope in the Pool light, if you will. It's not a Pope, though. It's Margot, It's actress Margot Robbie. It's, actro, it's actress Margot Robbie in the, in the, in the bathtub, Michael. Um, in the jacuzzi. But there are two other celebrity cameos and one instance of Jenga that serve as a much better example of Pope in the Pool. So Ryan Gosling um, presents the financial crisis in the form of uh, Jenga at a certain point in the film. And I remember watching that film and going, what the fuck? Like, no one would carry around a Jenga thing purely for the point of presentation. But that's not the, the point. The point is it serves as a perfect visual representation of the information that Ryan Gosling is is monologuing about. And we get a better understanding of the complex concept he's outlining thanks to the Jenga block. Oh, thanks, Ryan Gosling. Yeah. And it happens two more times. One example is with Anthony Bourdain. The famous chef. The famous chef, Michael, um, who sadly passed away. Um, But at the time, Michael... um, he was making soup out of fish that he didn't sell in his restaurant. Mm-hmm. And while he's making soup, he's talking about banks repackaging bad loans and selling them on. Very clever. So in this case, what we have is a direct visual representation of what is being talked about by Anthony Bourdain. Again, it's jarring because Anthony Bourdain's not in the film and he's playing Anthony Bourdain as Anthony Bourdain in an explanation scene. But it works in this mm. case because we have visual representation alongside... Um, alongside the concept being explained and it happens one more time with selena gomez at the blackjack table where she's explaining risk um through blackjack as a game mm. so it's it, it does happen a lot in the big short um i would say that adam mckay is a bit of a bit of a, a savant when it comes to the old pope in the pool michael um, he enjoys it a lot the thing about those is though they are very much outside the narrative and that's the problem because yeah, so does it count? Because, you know, what I, what I hate, Ben, there are a couple of tropes I hate, and they're, my, they're pretty much the opposite of this. But one of them is sitting beside a, a passenger on a plane at the start of a film and talking to them oh. and, you know, going to see the wife, is it? Like, oh, we're divorced. Oh, got any kids? They don't talk to me anymore. Oh, going to be a tough Christmas for John McClane. Oh, I'm actually not John McClane. This isn't Die Hard. This is the film Taken on a Plane with me, Liam Neeson. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, I hate it. I hate it. As soon as someone sits down and talks to a passenger, like, is this guy another character? Or is he just there for the... Everyone tells each other about their entire lives yep. while they're sitting beside <laughs> each other on an airplane trope. Yep. Um, oh, no use. It's it's a, It's a dull trope. It doesn't enhance the experience of understanding that information. It doesn't really give audiences a strong uh background to anything there's no real visual investment it adds there's a whole bunch of ways it can go horribly wrong now this is a debate i also had with my good lady friend where she said yeah but it's it's very meta i don't know if meta stepping outside the narrative to explain something is the same as the mm. pope in the pool i would argue it works best when the pope in the pool is used in narrative in narrative, as ben, part not of the meta. world, um, there are other unusual examples of it. Um, again, in the in the Marvel universe, you have Doctor Strange, and when the the Ancient One delivers the exposition, she waxes soul out of his body to explain it, and so we get like yeah. visual yeah. jumping through time stuff. Another great example would be um, the Hulk explaining a little bit of the of what's happened in the meantime in the diner as superhero hulk and the kids come up and ask for his autograph yeah so again it plays with visual expectation in the way that that's not where the hulk should be number one Mm. number two he shouldn't be able to speak number three kids shouldn't be coming up to the hulk for his autograph it you know there are a couple of things like that um that cause that to be the case video games have found interesting new ways to do this as well michael um, Go on. So, uh, it, it, taking its cue from Mr. DNA and Miss Minute in Loki and Jurassic Park, um, we have. Have you ever played Fallout? I have indeed, Ben. Yeah. So the little uh, the little retro icon guy, um, Pip Boy. What's his name? 
The Pip-Boy. Pip-Boy, yeah. So Pip-Boy... Well, that's the thing on your arm. Uh, Pip-Boy is kind of a, an the, interesting... That's the thing on your arm, Ben. It's the thing on your arm with the little yeah. fella. And with the, the little man on it, yeah. Yeah. So video games have had to find... Re, um, the, the, the more kind of advanced video games have become... Yes. The more they find new and creative ways to fill in exposition. So it used to be that you'd go up to an NPC in a game... And you yes. say, uh, hi. And they go, hi, I, have you been up the mountain lately? Oh, things are getting dark and stormy up there. I sure wouldn't go up that way until I had a better weapon. And then you'd understand, yeah. you know, oh, okay, I need a better weapon. Now, the- Well, Ben, to be honest, you probably wouldn't understand that. In the olden days, in the really olden days, go in on. the 80s and 90s, you'd be lucky if a game was well-designed enough that it... Well, <clears throat> you'd be lucky if a game held your hand enough to tell you that. Because you used to have to just figure it out from context or from clues. Mm. And one of, one of the greatest modern reinterpretations of that, Ben, was Dark Souls. Okay, game go, Dark Souls, go on. Which gives you almost no exposition. None. There's one guy you talk to him and he kind of hints that you might need to ring two bells and one's up high and one's down low. And that's your entire guidance in the game. That's not enough. It is enough. It's not. Because enough. it's one of the greatest, it is, it's one of the greatest feats of game design of all time. But anyway, go on. No, so um, just in general, it, I suppose depending on the type of game that you want to play, um, exposition is either essential or <laughs> non-essential. Um, or, or 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 making things worse. Or making things worse, spoiling the, the, the surprise. So I suppose if you wanted to follow the mm. Dark Souls logic, maybe not knowing more makes it a more exciting time to be alive, Michael. I don't know. Well, exposition is always the tricky thing, isn't it, Ben? Because have you ever seen the place behind the pines? Oh, yeah. Is that what it's called? Place beyond No exposition the pines. at all in that. Place beyond the pines. There's no exposition in that at all. Until you see... To the see... point you're going, what is this? What is going on? So naturalistic. Too naturalistic, arguably. <laughs> Some people did argue too naturalistic. Um, yeah, it's just a it's just a a, a multi tiered generational revenge plot. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of people would have said that he he's a Thai boxer in that, is he, or is he doing bare knuckle fighting? Uh, I think you're thinking of. I'm thinking of two different you're films, aren't I? I'm mixing films. them together. So what you're thinking of is you you are confusing Ryan Gosling films. Um, yes, I am. I'm mixing up two Ryan Gosling films. You're mixing up the Place Beyond the Pines with Nicholas Wendig Reffens. Uh, yes. Sequel. Equally obtuse. Equally obtuse. His his actor sequel, I guess, as opposed to actual sequel to Drive. Um, yes, exactly. Drive Gos- is another one that doesn't really have any exposition. No, it's whatsoever. just a straight linear narrative from A to B. Mm. And you can figure it out yourself, or catch up, or die trying. Yep, you don't get any backstory. You don't get any. Uh, you don't get any mm-hmm. hints at what he wants to do in the future. There's a, there's an immediate goal which is protect the family and that's that's the way it runs. Yeah. Um. So exposition isn't always necessary, but I would argue that you know, if you got the chance, Michael. Yeah. Or if you had to, if you absolutely yeah. had to. Yeah. Maybe give the Pope and the pool a go. Yeah. Or or you could just have one character say to another character, Ben, you and I have been friends for seven years. And in all of those seven years, you and your sister Sharon have lived together on 4 North 2 Road. And now it's time for you to pay me back that 500 euro you owed me. God damn it. But as you know, you're a real slippery character and you tried to give me back 200 in 1997, you son of a bitch. So I don't trust you no more. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, the, elegant, <laughs> elegant, elegant. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not as smooth. It is more naturalistic, though. I, I guess you could get it, away with that. What I've just said there. I no, but if you were to do it in chunks, Michael if you were, Benjamin. No, it's not. You can't. It's terrible. It's dreadful. It's one of the worst <laughs> screenwriting tropes of all time. Have you been ever said to a person, "You and I have been friends for insert number of years"? You haven't. No, never. The only way the only way you could make that work is set it in Ireland and have the characters be slightly drunk. We've we've when did we meet? Is we've been friends for so long? It's it's mad. That, <laughs> Remember when we watched the Ryan Gosling film? What's it called? Place. Um, your man directed it. Is it Neon uh, something? Like I can't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I can't remember. I can't remember at all. 
wrap us up there, Benji. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, what did you think? What did you think um, of this week's bloody mini trope? Have you got any great examples for us to send? Yeah, along? please send us some examples. Yeah, what did you think Where, of though? the Moon Knight trailer? It's out now. You can you can let us know <laughs> what you thought. You've of probably it. seen it. Um, and there's a few <laughs> different places you can get in touch with us and let us know what you thought. Um, you can find us on the interwebs at www.shomrabiog.com. S e o m r a b e a g dot com. It means tiny room in Irish. Benjamin, did you see that Spider-Man page? The first appearance of the Venom suit. The original artwork has sold for three point six million dollars. Buckaroos, Michael. Bloody hell! What a time to be alive. Uh, yeah, that's too much money. Yeah, we probably should have talked about that on the podcast. Uh, yeah, should we do it next week when it's not relevant anymore? Not very good. Yeah. Um, Means tiny room and Irish. It does indeed. Um, that was two on the nose. That was two on the nose, Ben. That hurt. <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram at your luxury listen podcast. Uh, or listen in English. Ladies and gentlemen, those are all weak sauce. Okay. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way you're going to get the kind of one to one witty banter experience you crave. From those stale, one-sided information dump kind of methods. What you want to do is become yeah. part of an interactive community that talks about these topics all the time. Uh, in depth and with good. a bit of joy and banter. So get up on that Discord, baby. Hop up on it, Ben. The link, as they say, is in the description. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you can join us in a week's time. Where we'll be doing another episode of Exhumed. But this week we'll be taking a look at Escape from New York with Snake Plissken. Oh, very exciting. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at the merits of that. So if it's one of your favourite films or one of your least favourite films, get in touch with us and let us know why. Oh, very good, Snake Plissken. Yes, right. I'm off to go take a dip in the pool while some advisors tell me what's wrong with the podcast. Ah, very clever what a good ending okay goodbye see you next week Benjamin we've known each other for seven years and you've never once been late for a podcast (laughs) that's not true